What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Monday evening edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Old friend, Scott Rafferty, out there in Charlotte with the zone, and NBA Canada is here. Scott, good evening, sir. How are you doing? Chase, I am doing well. Thank you for having me back on. It's been a while, but it's it's always good to pod with you. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we are not going to talk about um, the 2004 NBA draft. We're not going to do that on this podcast tonight, Scott. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but I don't care about what happened in the NBA draft 16 years ago. Do you know what I care about? Basketball that's happening soon. And right now, it looks like they're, to um, quote Woj, it's going to be, the players are going to overwhelmingly vote to bring back the 22-team um, plan for Disney World, whatever you want to call it, wherever they're playing in Orlando, um, I everything I've read is kind of confusing. I heard on a podcast today that I like that I will not name that they were um, talking about whether or not it was fair to the Charlotte Hornets team you're close to and um, the other team I, I'm blinking on who's right behind, I guess the Knicks or somebody like that who are just behind the Wizards for the ninth seed in the East that they're getting left out. Um, yeah, it's the, the Wizards, Hornets, and Bulls right now. Bulls, that was the other one. I guess, uh, and Knicks. Knicks is surprisingly close to those teams, which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, guess what? Uh, none of that matters. They're not getting screwed. They're they're not winning the title. They're not winning a playoff series. They'd be playing eight games because that's all we're getting out of this. So, I mean, yeah, it's basically like a mini vacation for a month if that's what they really need to do. But, uh just I that kind of blew my mind that teams were like, "Hey, we want to be involved." It's like you're not win- you, it's eight games and then you're gone and then you're losing in the first. You're getting swept by the Bucks. Like, is that really that necessary for you? That you're trying that hard? Like, and also you're not going to beat out the Magic for that. Whatever. Um, in your estimation, Scott, based on everything you've seen about the latest plan and what's most likely to happen, do you think this plan is confusing enough for you? Because I still find it confusing. I was going to say, I feel like we need to uh, backtrack a, a second and, and go over what the the actual report is, because I've read so many things and heard so many things over the right. last two weeks that they're all like jumbled into one. So, so you're talking about twenty the twenty two teams, right? Yes. 
Um, you have you have I don't know five, six, seven, eight games, and then from there you go into a playoff. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, it's it's a very good way of getting Zion Williamson into the playoffs. That's the other thing is where like this is just a way for the league is lo- looking at this as like a way to get Zion in, and people are like, oh, this is just a play by the NBA. It's like, well, I mean, at the end of the day, the NBA is a business, and the NBA doing whatever they can to get Zion Williamson in the playoffs is not all that surprising. Um, but I, didn't I mean, find- Zion yeah. Williamson is is really good and really fun to watch, so I, I would not have a problem with that. Although. Um- you know, that, so are the Grizzlies. You can't really go wrong. It, John, be, John Morant and Jaron Jackson, and they've had a great season. Like they're fun to watch too, and they've been better. They are super fun to watch. They are super fun to watch. They've probably been, if not the biggest surprise in the NBA this season, one of the biggest surprises. So um, I will not count, count Jaw out. That dude is, has shown that he's absolutely fearless. Doesn't fear anyone. Um, so you know, if he, if this is the first year that he makes the playoffs, whatever year it's going to be, it's going to be fun to watch that team. And they're super young. They're going to be relevant for a long time. It is interesting, though, the Zion stuff, because the league is going to turn against this guy because of how much admiration and attention he gets. And if it really becomes like a thing where it seems like the NBA is really favoring him and getting the Pelicans on national TV more and getting the Pelicans more favors and stuff like that, like it is going to be interesting to see how the rest of the league views Zion's rise because he hasn't done anything really and he's hasn't made a playoff series yet he hasn't he because he's young and i'm just curious to see what that looks like it's starting young the the just the jealousy around the league of just like oh the league bending towards another young superstar but it's like i don't think this really qualifies but also it doesn't really surprise me if that's what they were um angling behind the scenes but i don't i don't know don't have the answers there don't i also just think it's unrealistic and i generally speaking err on the side of not conspiratorial with stuff so i'm gonna guess it's probably not some long con to get zion in the playoffs but really just (laughs) um more regular season games i think that's all it is is i don't think the nba wants to both bring back all 30 teams because of the just the health risks and just how expensive it's going to be to get 22 teams there and all the testing they're gonna have to do but i also just think they want um regular season games they want a few more they want to cash in on a little bit more to get to like 70 i think is the magic number but it is going to be weird with records years from now because all these teams have different records as it stands right now <laughs> so that's going to be strange because the season wasn't ended where all everybody was just at the same level um i don't know it's all very strange but i think it's more of health stuff so they want to limit the number of teams that are going down to orlando and also, they want to get some some trial and error in there uh, for the uh, the teams that are really going to compete at a high level for a championship. But the time that was spent thinking about the Hornets in, uh, let's see, what is this, June 1st? It's the most we've thought about the Charlotte Hornets in June in a long time. Shots it is. fired at the Hornets. It but is. They're usually out of the equation by now. Shout out to Josh McRoberts uh for that great running yep. heat a couple years ago. But uh, for the most part, we're not thinking about the the Charlotte Hornets. We at are this not. time, um, at this time, usually we are not, and it, it might be a few years before we are talking about them in June again. But a few years. Um, I, I will say, nice. You're very nice, Scott. Um, unless you're like <laughs> what, the biggest, you think it's a decade? biggest person. Yeah, I would say a decade is safer. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I, I think the big thing for me, though, I, they have to have some kind of whether it is regular season games or or some kind of tournament or something like that. They have to have something before beginning the playoffs, right? Because there's just been too much time off at this point. 
that I feel like you can't risk. I mean, I don't think the basketball is going to be pretty anyway, just because there has been such a big break. And I don't really think five to eight games is going to solve all those problems. But I do think that's enough time to guy, for guys to kind of shake off at least a little bit of rust uh, and enough for the playoffs to actually be, you know, what they, I don't know, what they could have been, what they should have been. But at least, you know, going in there, guns blazing, game one, guys coming off of rest, um, which could have been a recipe for disaster. So like you, I don't know what the answers are here. I don't know what the best format is. I think the NBA is just trying different things, coming up with different plans to go about this. Um, you know, we, we've heard about the, the World Cup style playoff bracket. Uh, we've heard about the 1 to 16 format and things like that. And I think if there is ever a time for them to try these things, it's now, right? Uh, no, I'm out on the World Cup format. That sucked. I saw so, that. It, it drove I don't, me nuts. I, I didn't like it. There's some stuff. The I mean, this league's not even going to do reseeding. It's not like they don't want to do any of that. Like they're they're the East is like no. Oh, you want to make it even more difficult for any of our teams to advance multiple rounds in the playoffs? Yeah, we're g- never going to sign on for that. Some people posit that the NBA should reseed one through sixteen. It's like yeah, great, but guess what? The board of governors are not going to do that. Half the owners in this league are never going to agree to that because it's stupid. That's that does not that it just it's not going to happen. Um, so experimentation, I think goes, I don't know. Like I, Scott, this is going to make me sound like, uh, I don't know. I'll just say it. basketball is fine. You're not going to believe this, Scott, but I've never once watched the playoffs <laughs> in my lifetime. And been like, you know what? It's time to shake things up. Let's just throw a snow globe in here and just shake everything up and see what comes out. You know what? I'm pretty happy with the NBA playoffs. I'm pretty happy with just having things as they are i've never just sat on my couch on june 7th and been like you know what this isn't enough for me i'm not enjoying myself enough uh during this time let's go ahead and make things weirder no i never thought that because it's fine basketball is fine the nfl playoffs are fine major league baseball playoffs are fine i don't understand these fans who are always just like what can we do to make things better what can't like let's keep tinkering and all this stuff I'm like no I, I i think it's fine we've been doing this for years it's okay i'm not angry about it like are you really upset watching these games and been like ah, i don't know this could if we just did this it'd be even better i'm like yeah i think it's fine i'm i'm good i'm happy i'm with you i i have no complaints with the playoffs and and i i don't actually like the world cup style format that was floated out or or the idea that was being considered i do kind of like the one stick theme though and the only thing to me is like we've heard about this before in years past um, to the point where like, I don't know, that that could be something that the NBA implements moving forward. I don't think that's like absolutely insane to think about in like in 10 years time, looking at the NBA playoffs and every single team is, is form, uh, structured from 1 to 16 rather than 1 to 8 in each conference. I don't think that's insane. So I think this is probably the best opportunity for them to try something like that just because then you don't have to worry about the whole issue with traveling from the East coast to the West coast with certain teams in the first round and all that. So I, I'm with you. I, I don't necessarily think there needs to be a change, but I do like the one sixteen format. And I think it would be fascinating to see, you know, you have all these different teams matched up. Like you have Celtic sixes in first round on one side of the bracket and just above them, it would be like Clippers Mavs. So then in the second round, you could get like Clippers 76s, uh, things like that. I, it, it would be a lot of fun, but yeah, I'm I'm with you. I don't necessarily think we need to go crazy here. The only thing I would recommend is because they had Vegas and Orlando on their mind, I would 100% be here for an NIT style tournament for the bad teams. Like 
if we could have the NIT in Vegas simultaneously with the NBA playoffs in Orlando, I'm here for it. Can you imagine just like the Hawks and the Suns just going at it for the best worst team in Vegas while the NBA finals are going on? Like we just Devin Booker and Trey Young are going 40 a piece against each other in Vegas. And then we get to flip over and see like the real teams going at it for a real championship that I am here for. If they want to do an NIT in Vegas, absolutely sign me up. Cause I think I might even enjoy that more. Just bad teams duking it out for the best title of worst team. I love it. Is that, is that all they're fighting for best title uh, of worst team or are we attaching like lottery odds to this? I mean, so whoever I mean, wins has like the number one pick. The cryon has to be team X wins best worst team championship that that should be the cryon that's part of the deal if you do this in my opinion because it would okay. just be my favorite thing i've ever seen it's just a team holding up a trophy that actually says best worst team 2019 2020 <laughs> season um where they just celebrate finishing ninth uh or i guess uh ninth in their division or in their conference whatever but like i guess they'd be the we're the 17th best team in basketball that that is something i'm here for because ultimately that's the hey, best case the- scenario when trey young's your best player I, I don't know. We I, we might be talking about the Hornets in June every single year. If that's the case. God, you know what? They'd actually be really good at that with all of their college players who are who are good in college and just not all that star potential in the pros. Like Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, Cody Zeller, all those dudes. Yeah, all the grit. They would be here for it. Yeah, they would. And they finished like ninth place every single year in the in the Eastern Conference. I, I think they'd be uh, that would work out pretty well for them. God, that would be. But isn't that a good idea? Like, if we did an NIT, like, the bad teams go to Vegas and the good teams go to Orlando? That I would do. I, I'd be cool with it. I do wonder, though, if, if they're playing for the, the best worst team title, I do wonder if Trey Young's out there playing 40, 48 minutes in Game 7 of the final or if it's just one game and uh, doing everything he can to get the Hawks a W yeah, just, um, just so he can lift everybody. that trophy. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how seriously he's taking that game, but... If you can figure out a way to incentivize that and have guys playing hard and meaningful games, um, even if it's not for you know the championship, I, I, I'd be all for it. I'm, I'm never going to say no to to more basketball games and more important basketball games. Absolutely. Um, the last thing I'll say about this is that I do wonder because this is a possibility. What happens if someone gets hurt in the eight game tune up? Like, what if AD tears his ACL? in an eight-game tune-up. Like, what if by not going straight to the playoffs, one of these guys and the teams that are actually contending lose a guy this season? And then because of how late a time, like how late this is going to happen, they miss next season too. Like, that is something I'm very, very concerned about is the injury risk of, of throwing those eight games in there and them getting their legs back. I I don't know. That, that concerns me. Uh, look, I'm not going to claim to be an, a medical expert or anything but i i think that's why the five to eight games or so would be so important because look if the, the lakers have the number one seed in the west right we don't know what kind of impact like how important these games are going to be when they come back uh like if they're going to change the standings your positioning all that but it's hard to believe that if the lakers are playing eight two enough games that anthony davis is playing 35 plus minutes in each of those games and he's going as hard as possible he's probably just using that time to get his body right for the playoffs and I don't know if that is enough time for guys to be at you know peak condition for the playoffs. Maybe it isn't, but I, that's why I was saying I, I think it's much better than the alternative, which is to go straight into the playoffs. 
Um, and then every single minute AD is out there matters. Um, and they're potentially playing a team like the Memphis Grizzlies in the first round, who are much younger, have fresher legs, um, can kind of hit the ground running in that regard. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's an important thing. And I also think the other obvious one is, you know, what, what if a player gets the coronavirus? Um, that, that's the obvious one here because who knows? Game seven of the finals, Anthony Davis, LeBron, Giannis, you name who, um, gets the coronavirus. Like, what, what happens at that point? Do they, do they keep playing? Are they not allowed to play? Um, so I, I mean, that's part of the deal. Injury right? is always going to keep playing. Like, if anyone tests positive, they're like that's part of the plan for all these leagues is that they're going to get removed, quarantine, and then can't come back until they have like multiple positive tests or multiple tests that show that they're in the clear. Like, but that would like to your point. God, how crazy would it be though? It's not even like an on the court injury. LeBron does like God forbid get Corona like in the middle of the NBA finals. Do you shut yep. it down? Is he I that mean, important? It, where you're like. Mm, yeah, I know we said that teams have to just play through it, um, <laughs> I mean, but it's LeBron James, and we're going to take three weeks off. We'll see you all in a month. I mean, I, I don't know, because we've never dealt with something like this before. Yeah. Um, so I, I have no idea. But, I mean, yeah, injury is going to concern, but, I mean, the coronavirus is certainly um, probably even greater concern right now just because who knows? Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot, lot of uncertainty. Um, and a lot of things that the NBA is going to have to work through. Well, things that are not uncertain anymore. Tom Thibodeau looks like he's going to be the head coach of the New York Knicks. Um, Kenny Atkinson still remains in the fold. Mike Miller is probably going to stay on the staff. And the uh, who's another good example of this is these coaches that just stay through different tenures. And you're like, what? what about this person? They just have this great job security where they're like, no, this person's got to stay. So shout out to Mike Miller, whatever he's doing right. I'm um, in New York because that guy is going to stay on forever. Um, I guess the Kurt Rambis thing. I, I don't know. Um, what do you think about the Knicks zeroing in on Tom Thibodeau after uh, uh, just a very uncomfortable, unceremonious exit in Minnesota? What do you what do you think about the Knicks zeroing in on Tibbs? Yeah, the Minnesota stuff was weird. Um, I don't know, man. It, the thing is, this is so. This is we have never seen Tibbs in this situation before, right? Because mm-hmm. when he took over the Bulls, they weren't a great team. I think they were a 500 team the, the two years before he became a head coach. But they were they were a playoff team. They had a young guy in, in Derrick Rose, who obviously went on to an MVP. Joe can know all that. So they were already a good team. Um, the Timberwolves weren't in the same situation, but they at least had like an All Star in Carl Anthony Towns, and then they got Jimmy Butler. And they were expected to make the playoffs. If he goes to New York, that no one's expecting that team to make the playoffs at least for another few years, right? So he's building this team up from the ground up, basically. And from from that point of view, he wouldn't have been the first coach that came to mind for me. Um, I, like Kenny Atkinson, for example, makes more sense just because you know he, he's been in a situation in Brooklyn before where he helped that young team, um, built a really good offense, a good defense. That team played with pace, uh, played really hard, and everything like that. And obviously, Tins is known for his defense. So maybe you have, you know, you got R.J. Barrett, you got Mitchell Robinson. Maybe you can build a really good defense like that. Um, but those Timberwolves teams weren't very good defensively. Yep. And I know there was a lot of chats that grew in, in Tins kind of being lost in his ways and all being able to adjust to the new NBA. Why do you um, think that was just doing you things. that team? Because I want to ask you about it. Like, what? Because they were really good offensively, but they were bad defensively. Like, what was it about his scheme that changed or like, was it just strictly personnel? What did you see during that time? 
it is funny though, right? Because th- those, I, I mean, I looked at this before we uh, we jumped on here and kind of tabled the offensive efficiency of the tip coach teams, um, the Bulls and the Timberwolves, and then the defense, and it just flipped. So all of Chicago, that, that was one of two years that they were a good offensive team in Chicago, but they were basically, you know, top five offense and then bottom 10 kind of middle of the league offense. Um, and then that just completely reversed to Minnesota where they were like a pretty good offense, but a terrible defense. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe it's, it's some of the stuff that he used to do. I know like the ice that gets a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of attention just because you can hear him shouting on the sideline. It feels like everyone, whenever you watch a tip game, you can just hear him in his raspy voice, yell ice, ice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, with the way the game is played now with guys shooting more three pointers, specifically like powerfuls and centers, that is one way to beat that, that, that team. Um, so that, that, that would kind of be my answer. Like the, the, the NBA is caught up with the way that Tibbs, um, kind of built those really good defensive Bulls teams and everything like that. Um, but again, like there's, there's some decent defensive personnel on that team. Like I, I'm a huge fan of Mitchell Robinson. I think he's awesome. But again, like I, the way that Tibbs coaches, he's really hard on his guys. We know he, he has a reputation of kind of running guys to the ground by playing them a lot of heavy minutes and everything. And if you have a guy like RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robinson, I just don't know if that's the kind of coach that you'd want coaching that team right now. That, that, that's basically what it comes down to. I, I don't know. Maybe Tibbs is going to be good in New York. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's the kind of the coach that they need. But to me, he's just not, he definitely wasn't like the first person that came to mind when this job came open. Yeah, I mean... The fact that Kenny Atkinson is also in the running and that if you went Kenny Atkinson, like what I think this tells us about where the Knicks heads are and Leon Rose, I think he used to represent Tibbs, which should not be all that surprising. I believe so. But I, um, it, we shouldn't be surprised that this team is angling for someone who has a track record as Tibbs because it actually is kind of crazy at how, like, even though the Timberwolves stuff did not end great, he was only like five games uh, maybe, uh, no I think he was two games under 500 when he got fired they were like 19 and 21 or something like that it wasn't like the Timberwolves stuff had just fallen off a cliff and they were just bad like Tibbs coach teams say what you will are still good like he he has some crazy bull stats where like he posted the franchise best 86 consecutive game streak without losing more than two games in a row like doing that with this Knicks team next year it, with the majority of these guys back would be incredible like just to remove them losing multiple games in a row uh, would be a huge thing. Um, he led the league in close game winning percentage at 62%, 66 and 40 in close games. Um, just all kinds of, like, he only had one bad year. And that was the year um, he first got to Minnesota when he was just unloading everybody and doing his own thing before he got Jimmy. But, like, that guy just wins a lot of games. Every year, up and down, like, say what you will about the postseason stuff, it kind of reminds me of the reverse Mike D'Antoni, where just what he does to you in the regular season, just at all, like, what they have to do to win a bunch of regular season games and avoid those back-to-back losses and stuff like that, just don't really set you up for postseason success just because guys are just burnt out for different reasons. But if you're the Knicks, if you go with Atkinson, that means, to me, they're committing to R.J. Barrett, Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson, maybe even Frankie Smokes. Probably not because he just is that bad offensively. But like that tells me that they're like, oh, we're going the development guy. Because if you hire Atkinson, you're taking the long view, right? You're like that. We want. We saw what he did in Brooklyn before Kyrie and Kevin Durant got there. That was incredible. What he did with Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, all those dudes, Joe Harris, everybody. We want that in New York. We're just at a better level. If you go with Tibbs, 
what you're telling fans is that we're not doing what we did this season again. We're not building through the lottery. We're not going to wait on RJ Barrett and hope that he turns out to be a star. We're going to just, we're going to start making moves and we're going to start winning basketball games because we're in the biggest market. Um, we have the best fans, we have the best arena, all this kind of stuff. Cause I think they were like ninth in attendance this year. Um, we're going to pack our arena again and we're going to make basketball fun and we're going to get you a winner. I, I'm curious to see who stays and who goes because Knox, I would say his days are numbered. RJ seems like the safest Mitchell Robinson. I like a lot like you. We'll see. He seems like a good Tibbs fit. He should stay. Smokes, this would be the best case scenario for him, getting Tibbs, it seems yeah, like. Yeah, it, would. it um, would. But he's still just basically unplayable if he really can't get that shot even remotely okay. Uh, I don't know. I'm fascinated because I think this makes the Knicks more interesting because I think this means that everybody's on the table and that they're going to get aggressive. But then again, what does the cap look like? What does the future salaries look like? Like, what can the Knicks realistically do in the next couple of years? Like what, um, what can RJ Barrett really be? Does he see him as his like Derek Rose type where it's like, he's going to be our lead ball handler. We're going to have a crazy usage with RJ. We're going to run everything f- through him. He's big. He's long. He's six, six. He can be a great defender and he can be our modern day point forward wing who can just do it all. I'm curious. Cause I'm a big RJ guy. And I like the, the thing of though. Came on. Oh, here we go. Oh, this is going to be RJ slander. No, no, no. This is not RJ slander. But for me, wouldn't you trust Atkinson to kind of be the guy to implement a system that would play to the strengths of a guy like RJ Barrett? Yes. If you do envision him being this point forward thing rather than Tibbs. Like, yes. that, that's the thing for me. I feel like the way that they've kind of not built this team, but the, 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 like the cornerstone, the core of this team needs a coach who's, I don't know, more, like more open to like a modernized offense and things like that, right? Because may, maybe it is. Maybe the solution to the Knicks moving forward is like you do turn RJ Barrett into this point forward. Maybe he's not like a full-time one, but he's a guy who has the ball in his hands most of the game. And then maybe he's a guy, like he is next to Frankie Smokes who can take the, you know, the toughest assignment on the other end of the court. But around them, you need shooters, especially if you have like a Mitchell Robinson at center. So I, I just think like if you get Atkinson, you're signing up for a guy who's going to, push the pace, get up and down the court, maybe playing like a, a pace or space system. Because under Atkinson, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I want to say the Nets have been basically, if not at the top of the league, near the top of the league in three-point attempts every single year. Um, and, and I just think, you know, if you sign up for Tibbs, you're going to get this grinded out team, you know, that plays really hard. And that, that's obviously very important for a young team like this um, and, and puts defense first and everything. But I just feel like the offense is always just like such a slugfest. Um, and maybe that's just how I remember those Bulls teams because, like we were saying, the Timberwolves were very good offensively under him. Um, I, but to me, like the league has just been so much more offensive focused over the last few years. Um, and I, I just think like in that regard, like Kenny Atkinson makes more sense for the team to me. Um, I mean, there, there are other coaches out there as well uh, that we can talk about. But, but to me, it was Atkinson that kind of came first to mind for the, for the Knicks. If I'm Atkinson, I don't want this job anyway. I don't. The Knicks is a tough job, man. Situation. I don't want to move over to New York. I don't. Cause you're just a dead man walking there. I don't think. I I don't know. I if I'm Atkinson, you get one more shot basically before it's lifelong assistant. Like he's gonna get one more opportunity somewhere. I if I'm Atkinson, I'm looking for the Taylor Jenkins type thing down there in Memphis. 
where I can get my hands on a young group of talented guys and grow with them and also know that if I grow with them, ownership is not going to try and force me out and go big game hunting. Um, the Knicks with Dolan and everybody, like especially with Leon Rose, like being a former player, uh, a player agent and all that kind of stuff, like they're going to go big game hunting. Like The Knicks are going to do that. Scott Perry and the group they brought in, but then they brought in some smart people uh, from the Jazz, so we'll see. But I, if I'm Atkinson, I'm staying away from this job. If I'm any young coach, I'm staying away from the Knicks job right now. That's part of the reason I think Tibbs makes sense is that I... It, the Knicks can go a lot of different ways, but they're in a weird situation where this has been really bad and really depressing the last couple of years that I I don't think that's what they want um, in the next couple. So if you're Atkinson, you're walking back into the net situation where you're like, yeah, if you get things rolling in the right direction, like you did it in Brooklyn, guess what? They're going to go after the next Kyrie and KD because the Knicks thought they were getting Kyrie and KD. That's why they did what they did. And by not getting them, things are bad and they had to settle with Alfred Payton and Julius Randle and all these players who are whatever, but they're not Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And I think that's still their primary focus is going after guys like that. And I don't think Kenny Atkinson makes sense for them in that sense. So I don't know who the right team is. Maybe Orlando for Kenny go back down South. Um, Maybe it's the Spurs. You wait out and see what Greg Popovich does. That's Hmm. an organization that's very loyal to people, but it seems like, I remember seeing a report that Bill Self was like the guy in waiting there, oddly enough. Um, really? Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, it, there's not a lot of NBA jobs, and a lot of teams have actually good coaches right now, and you look around the league, like, who makes the most sense for Kenny Atkinson? The Knicks just don't come to mind. Like, I know he's a New York guy, and he wants to stay close to home, but I don't know. I don't think there's a lot of – maybe, you know, you know what's funny? Maybe it's Chicago. What? Maybe. maybe I mean, Chicago. it seems like that job's gonna. It seems like that job's gonna open up soon as well. So, um, yeah. I mean, probably. Um, I mean, if you're talking about another big market, kind of a young team, um, one that that wants to win, but there's probably a bigger leash in Chicago than there is in New York. Yeah. I mean, you you just look at the New like New York. I think they've had the Knicks have had like six different head coaches over the last seven years. Um, which is just, it's crazy to look at just every single year is basically a new coach, um, which is not a good sign. Um, if you, if you're, you're joining that team. And I would think that someone like Tibbs knowing that, I mean, we saw him, he, he was what, um, in the front office in Minnesota. I don't know if he'd push for anything similar like that in New York, but you, you I, I would have thought that he would try and guarantee as many years as possible. Um, knowing that they've basically just let go of every single coach over the last seven years after one season. So, um, Atkinson, that that Chicago Bulls team, I was not big on this Bulls team coming into the season. I'm not a big believer in that talent. Um, Zach Levine's a really fun guy to watch, especially when he's going. I've just never been a big fan of his or a big believer in him. Same. But um, th- there is there is a world in which Atkinson kind of builds, you know, this again up and down system with that team with Zach Levine leading the way. Unlock Larry Markkinen, who who's just whatever's happened to him this season has been incredibly bizarre. Um, I, I was super high on him last year. I thought he was one of the best rookies in the class, had a super bright future, and then he's kind of just hit a huge uh, lull this se- season for whatever it is. So, so maybe you're right, because that does seem like the other job that's going to become available. And then um, I'm going to whisper this one, Scott. The Atlanta Hawks. Ooh, really? I, 
Why is that? Were really bad. This team's not getting better. It's not Lloyd Pierce's fault. I would not. But I don't see a scenario where this team is any better next year. I, I uh, you you mentioned it signing Fred Van Vliet. Oh, oh, I that is what I would do. Do I think the Hawks are going to go that route? No, I do not. If I was Travis Link, I would not have traded the 2020 NBA or 2021, excuse me, NBA MVP. That would be something I wouldn't have done in the moment. <laughs> is I wouldn't have done that. Um, but yeah, I uh, Fred Van Vliet. God, it would be so great. And it would be so good for Trey. And I just think he needs to get some sort of competent backup help because whew, the numbers and just when you watch Jeff Teague and the Goodwins and the Malcolm Delaney's of the world, backup Trey, it's very, very uncomfortable. And it's, it's just not good. And he develops bad habits where he, he has a 30 plus percent usage percentage. And guess what? Um, if you're Kevin Herter or Cam Reddish or DeAndre Hunter, there's no avenue for you to become a star. And the reason there's no avenue for you to become a star is because you won't have the ball in your hands enough. Like it's simply impossible to develop around James Harden types because guess what? They have the ball in their hands. What makes the Rockets good is that it is all about James Harden. He's a top five player, but the rest of the roster are all veterans who don't care about becoming stars anymore. The Hawks are different. The Hawks are littered with lottery picks that need to develop. You traded up for DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Hunter is Harrison Barnsey, Andrew Wigginsy. You forget he's in the court a lot and yes he was coming on a little bit uh before the abrupt stoppage but he's not a great ball handler he's not gonna get the ball in his hands bunch he's a great defender but i don't know like i just i think him reddish herder they're not gonna have the ball in their hands and then like the whole conversation about paying john collins the max when you already traded for capella who's on the books for three more years you cannot pay two bigs 50 percent of your salary cap that's insane that is just malfeasance. That's I. It make it like my stomach is turning as we're talking about it, Scott. Of just I can the tell. Idea. I can tell. I I'm just I'm team never pay bigs anyway in today's NBA. Like you can find them anywhere. I you better be Joel Embiid if I'm paying you or Nikola Jokic. Like you better be in one of the three or four guys who can actually move the needle and be the best player on a good team. Most can't. You just don't have the ball in your hands enough to be effective and be that. That's why you see most teams in the NBA who have the most success have two guards who are really good. Like that's <laughs> it's a great avenue to have a Dan yeah. Lillard, um, CJ McCollum, have a Steph Curry, Clay. Have like just go up and down the list and you look at the best teams in the NBA. Most of them are guard and wing heavy. Um, they're not big heavy. Yeah, it's wings. Yes, it's a wings league now. Yes. So do not invest in two bigs who can't really shoot. Like Collins can shoot when he's wide open. Fine. Capella is a rim runner. The spacing of just those two, and I understand the defensive help of having a rim protector like Capella behind them, but I no, just don't pay John Collins that if that's what he wants and you got to trade him. Um, and also, he hurt the team. That suspension is part of the reason that I'm curious about what happens with Pierce is because that record would not have been have bad this year had the suspension not happened because right. he's just so important to what they do and Trey is so comfortable with him in the pick and roll. But yeah, I um, I don't know, man. It's just... It's all bad and frustrating. Well, the, the other problem is it would be one thing if you're paying that much money on bigs, but like they actually complemented each other really well on both ends. And like you're saying, Capella does make up for some of the defensive problems that, that, that the Hawks have. But offensively, like the Capella-John Collins duo just doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, I, I mean, I think they work perfectly, both of them by themselves next to Trey Young, because you have super athletic guys who can, who can roll to the basket, 
Collins can shoot a little bit. Um, Capella is one of the best cutters and rollers in the league and things like that. But together, like it, it, that just might be super awkward. And I, I don't, to your point, I don't know if you want to spend, tie up all your money um, in those two, even though the Hawks do have a lot of cap space. Um, but you definitely don't want to just tie everything up with that, especially when you have a bunch of young guys in your team who at some point are going to need extensions. Um, and we're several years away from that for some of those guys on the team, but th- that that day will come. So it, it always does. Not to mention, you got another top five pick coming this year. Like that could be Anthony Edwards, yep. and that's another one you have to prioritize. Like it's just, I don't know. But that's a good way of wrapping up a Knicks and Tom Thibodeau conversation, Scott. That's how you do it. Go Fred Van Vliet and the Hulk. That's yeah. how we do it. Um, <laughs> um, speaking of another franchise that I'm not very high on and their future. We don't talk enough about the fact that the Kings made a huge mistake in moving on from Jaeger to Luke Walden. Right? Can we go ahead and just write that one in? That Dave Jaeger, I understand like behind the scenes there might be some issues there and that he's probably annoying to work with. But um, Dave Jaeger is a very good basketball coach. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for what he did with that group and evolving from the grit and grind Grizzlies to the way that Kings were playing. Like People forget he evolved. Kings were playing fast last year and he unlocked De'Aaron Fox and De'Aaron Fox has not had a great year. The Buddy Hield stuff has gotten really ugly. Harry Giles stuff's gotten ugly. Marvin Bagley can't stand the court. I, I'm really out on the Kings. What are, what are you thinking when it comes to the Sacramento Kings? Oh, they, they didn't just play fast last year. They led the league in transition points per game. They were tied with the Bucks. And this year, they I think they ranked 15th in transition points per game. Like they, They've just plummeted um, when you talk about the speed with which they play. And, I mean, that plays to the strength of – playing with speed plays to the strength of De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald. Because I can't even count the amount of times last season that it felt like they were just completely out of a game. And then, you know, here they come, a 15-16-2 run because the other team just can't keep up with them because every time there's a missed shot, they're running down the other end of the court and beating teams down. Buddy Hill's getting a wide open three pointer. De'Aaron Fox is getting to the basket, um, and it just seems like that's just that that's completely gone from their game this year. Um, so I, I'm with you there. That 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 was super weird to me, and I mean that was a huge part of why the Kings were so successful last year. So to just remove that, I, I think there was conversation or or a quote that Fox had earlier in the year about how they wanted to to mix things up and, and learn. Like they, they, I think the coaching staff was trying to preach how they need to learn it, like win in different ways. Um, I could be remembering this wrong, but, but that there was some kind of quote that, that said that the effect of like, this is a young team need to learn how to win in different ways, whether it's, you know, in half court and things like that. But if you have like their core is Yaron Fox and Buddy Hield. If you have two guys like that, you want to play with pace and get up and down the court. Um, so it's just, it's just so weird for me to, for the fact that they just eliminated that game, that part of the game. Um, I understand almost it, though. I not, understand not entirely, they're but... like not wanting to just overdo being a transitional team because the Pelicans have to do that too. Where the Pelicans are going to be a, a this was the reason I was dubious on them coming into the year is that when you look at those five closing guys, like that offense is just going to be a train wreck in the half court. Like the way for them to score is in transition. Like Zion in the half court with Lonzo and Drew Holiday, like that offense is just I mean, just vomit in the half court. Like that's just awful. Um, part of the reason I'm not entirely enthused in watching them play the Lakers in a first round series is that the Lakers are going to make the playoff half court offense. And um, we're going to be like, wow, this is Zion just threw up another 30 foot off his back foot. And this is, this is ugly. Um, 
Wait, we, the we same problems because they I, I don't have anybody. They don't have a closer. They don't have like a. They have a bunch of guys who are good in transition, like Buddy Heald in the catch and shoot, De'Aaron Fox running up and down the court, Bagley as a rim runner, and like it makes sense as to why they played that way and why they thrive. But it also makes sense why Luke Walton would be like, yeah, we're going to have to evolve a little bit folks, because eventually the game is not going to work like that where you can just rely on transition points. But um, it was a little too soon because they just don't have the personnel. But Marvin Bagley should be like, they kind of drafted him to be the big that can create in the half court, run a pick and roll post up, face the floor a little bit. Right. Like that, that that's a, that's a, a big reason why they took him. Was it number two? Yes. Um, in the 2018 NBA draft. So, I mean, he's dealt with injuries this season, so he's been out of the lineup. I, I'm pretty – I like Bagley. I don't know where you stand on him. Um, I don't like him where he went. I, you know what's funny? I like him more than Aiton. I like Bagley really? more than DeAndre Aiton. Yeah, I think Aiton sucks. Like, that dude. I Really? DeAndre Aiton sucks. And um, I don't know how many Suns games you watched this year. I watched too many. DeAndre Ayton is just an empty calorie guy to like his lack of interest in being physical and being a good defender and getting to the foul line and just using his size to just overpower people makes no sense. He would rather shoot than just be right at the rim, drawing fouls and fouling out people and just taking over games. Like he has zero Joel Embiid in him. Like his game would be okay if he wanted, if he was this good, and talented offensively as Carl Anthony Towns. Like, that's the best case scenario for him. But he's not. Towns is so good offensively at this point. Like, where. Towns is absurd offensively. Like, his corner three and just the way he finds, like, the way he gets open for threes at this point is still insane. Like, Carl Anthony Towns is just basketball poetry on the offensive end of the floor. DeAndre Aiden's. Dude, on. they run like. They, they run like cross screens for Carl yes. Towns, like Iverson cuts. He's doing like between the legs step backs right um for a seven foot so the stuff that he does i feel like we've just taken it for granted at this point well, because no one watches the game people no just aren't watching, watching the wolves. that's what i'm missing say. this yeah um no towns is, a, is an absolute offensive monster i mean the hope is that he improves defensively because until that well, happens it doesn't happen. so it can be very hard. okay you cannot let, let's move on from that one. i'll go ahead and answer <laughs> that one folks that's not gonna happen um it's like trey young might get better trey young literally has posted the worst defensive real plus minus in the nba in back-to-back seasons the worst like after everybody else the worst like he's never going to be an okay defender he'll always be just getting destroyed on pick and pop pick and rolls just people are going to shoot over him it's not good it will always be a dumpster fire you just have to hope that he's good enough offensively where he can overcome it just very james hardney um deandre ayton just doesn't do anything like i don't think he affects basketball games at all marvin bagley I think he's improved he's improved defensively oh god you can have deandre ayton's improved Aiden's improved defensively. I'll say, I'll say that. I'll give him a little bit of credit here. Well, I think Bagley's going to be able to shoot threes. I think Bagley is going to get to the line more. I think Bagley is more likely to become like a... I've seen the Amari stuff from him. I don't know if that's necessarily... I don't know what the best comp for Marvin Bagley is. What do you think his similarities yeah, he's are kind at of... this point? I don't really know how to describe him. Yeah, he's a tough one. Um, I mean, maybe he is. Maybe he's like a modern day Amare. Um, you know, a guy a who's going to be a better. A, yeah, Aiton is like I mean, a modern it'd be, it'd be day. Um, oh, here we go. <laughs> hmm. He is a modern day Christian Leitner. 
Oh, don't do that. He loves the mid-range. No one loved the mid-range more than Christian Leitner. <laughs> he lived in it. He thrived in it. There's a whole video on YouTube about Christian Leitner's mid-range devastation. That is the same thing that DeAndre De- Ayton does every game. You bringing up Christian Leitner mid-range mixtapes lets me know that this, uh, this hiatus has gone on for way too long. Hey, hey, hey. I, I spend my time in fun ways. I'm a fun guy. Um, what would you guess uh, Bagley shot from three this year? Uh, the fact that you're asking me that question makes me think that it's like a 37% kind of deal. Um, well, last year it was 31%, which is actually not bad for a rookie big um, on 100 attempts. He had 22 attempts this year because he's played a lot less minutes, only 334, and he's had injury issues and everything. Yeah. 18%. Oh, wow. I did not know that at all. His it's been a weird season. Twenty five percent, which is up. Um, I think he'll also demand the ball a lot more than Aiden will. Uh, I like that he's playing a lot more five. So you know what's interesting too is in sixty two games last year, Bagley played forty five percent at the four and fifty per fifty four percent at the five. This year, Walton mm-hmm. has only played him twelve percent of his minutes at the four and eighty eight percent at the five. That's part of the reason I'm more optimistic about Bagley is I actually think he'll really thrive and just punish people at the five um, on offense. Defense, he'll have his limitations. Defense, though. Yeah, he'll, he'll have his limitations, but I think he can actually be that good offensively to make it be where it's like, yeah, this is a problem, but he has a 122 offensive rating in his prime offensively. Like, that. that's where you're like, we'll have to just deal with it, and him and De'Aaron Fox are just so devastating the pick and roll that it doesn't really matter. And by the way, Bagley can play both styles. Like he, he can get up and down the court as well. Yep. So it's not like you're just marrying yourself to one style play by having him on the court. Like he stylistically he actually fits in pretty well with that core, although I do think the the defense part um could be a big issue because like you're saying, I, I do ultimately think, especially in today's NBA, like he he's best used as a sensor, right? Um but then that opens up the whole thing, like who do you pair him with in the front court? Do you pair him with someone like Bayelitsa? Um, a stretch four who's also not that great defensively or do you try and get someone who's a better defender and all that um, you know they had Dwayne Dedman at the start of this season who he in theory sense. would be a good fit next would, yeah in theory he'd be a great fit next to him but um, for, what a, for whatever reason he just completely fell off the face of the earth um, couldn't well, hit a shot for his life and they, had buried on Holmes, they had him they had remember the Kings signed everybody like Dedman never really got like consistent role and that's why he wanted out it's just like there are too many bigs not enough time to go around him, Giles. Like there was just not not enough. Yeah, that's true. And then they bought and, uh, the whole heel stuff. We don't talk about this enough. The heel stuff got ugly, and then him becoming a six man. And like, what does that mean for their future? Like, I don't know. Like the buddy heel stuff got ugly. It did. And then what do you do about Bogdan, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich this uh, this off season because he's against an elbow now? Well, he should have traded. Um, and they didn't do that. That's the thing, man. Like they're they're looking at this from within the next five years, they're going to have Darian Fox, Buddy Hield, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and Marvin Bagley all on like big contracts. Um, and you kind of have to ask yourself, like, is that is that is that core going to be good enough? I mean, if you if you're marrying yourself to that group of guys at that point, you're trying to become a playoff like a contender, right? Like, there's no way this Kings team doesn't envision themselves being competitive in the West within the next five years with these guys. So you got to ask yourself, like, are these is that core capable? of doing something like that. And obviously you can trade one of those guys eventually. Maybe that's what they'll do. Maybe 
you sign a guy like Bogdanovich to an extension and next year ahead of the trade deadline, you move him. Um, Cause now he's under a long contract. Teams might be more willing to give up actual assets for him rather than it potentially being, you know, a six month trial period or whatever it is. Um, but I mean, they're going to have a lot of tough decisions to make. Um, I will say the, the one thing though, when I was looking at their salary cap ahead of this, it was smart of them. I, the, the Harrison Barnes contract wasn't good. I'm not going to try and talk them, you know, make that case for them. But the fact that it does decline was smart for them. Because you look at it, it's like he's making $24 million this year. At the end of his contract, he's making $18 million. And at that point, all those extensions are going to kick in. So it's not going to be as much of a detriment on that on their books, um, even though it still wasn't a great signing by them. I don't hate that. I still will ride for that signing because, like, by all accounts, Harrison Barnes I don't is hate a perfect it. guy to have in your locker room. And that the Warriors miss him. I don't hate it. I like, don't hate it. I just it wasn't great. I have more issues of giving Dwayne Dedman three years than Harrison Barnes. Like they've done some weirder stuff than I mean, they look back at their last transactions. Like King's gonna Kings, and that is not at the top of my list of weird bloody moves in the last five years. Like I was okay with Harrison Barnes. Like it's fine. He can be one of your five. And you need veterans who just no veterans in Sacramento. Like they needed some real leaders because guess what? He's also like the oldest guy on that team now. No, it's Corey Joseph who's been in the league. I was going to say it's him or Corey Joseph, right? And then that team's really young. Didn't it feel like forever the Kings were like old and bad and they were just signing veteran. Like they didn't really have any young guys that we liked. They were just yeah. older and not good. Now they're all young. They're a middle of the road team. I think they're exactly like 19th on offense and defense in the league that, they have put themselves in a position where, okay, it, the Kings are just awkward because they can't win a title with this core. Like, none of these guys are going to become top five players in the NBA. It's just not, there's no path. So, what they should do. I don't is, know. Oh, no. I don't know. Who are you going to no make the crazy, cases in the not, top five? Who is going to be at the level crazy. of LeBron, Giannis, <laughs> okay. Kawhi? Who is getting there? Okay, top five might be a little extreme, but there's, yes. there's a world in which De'Aaron Fox is like a top 10 player. Yes, I would say top 10, but guess what? The eighth okay. best player on a team does not win a title. doesn't happen. It's not how it, it works. Eighth best player in the league right now is like Damian Lillard, isn't it? Or yeah, Jokic. he's never going to win a title as the best player on his team. He might. No. Oh, poor Scott. You're so nice. He might. You're so nice. He might. Yeah, he might when he's playing for the Lakers <laughs> with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. That's when he might win a title. I mean, yeah. Going to bat as the uh, as like the no brainer MVP. What are we doing? Like Damian Lillard has had himself the last couple of weeks. Um, yes, that was um, that was wild. You can make the case for LeBron, but now we've gotten to the point where it's like the no brainer when Giannis isn't even having to play in the fourth quarter for a season because he's just beating teams senseless by himself. Um, Dude, we, we just get bored. Yes, that's all it is. Like. I, I love Zion. I think he's absolutely incredible. But to total, like the fact that there was a rookie of the year conversation going on after he played in 18 games, it's hilarious. Yeah. And it's also just it's, it's stuff like that. We ja, just, who was doing it all year long and just being is. awesome. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think the Kings, what they need to focus on is being the Mike Bibby, Chris Webber Kings. Just be, you know, it'd be nice for Sacramento fans who, and they would appreciate this, like eight solid years of being in the playoffs every year. Be the Blazers. Yeah. Be the Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum Blazers. No chance at a title. Just be good for years. Be competent. And that's fine, by the way, because we, we do put 
And I know I just talked about this, you know, do they have a call that can be for a championship in the next five years? Which is now. And I was going a little too far because, well, because either way, there is still value in being a super competitive right. team and to your exactly. point, making the playoffs every single year. Like there is a ton of value in that. And you, you can't just look through every, everything through the lens of like, is this going to win us a championship or not? Um, even though that's ultimately why everyone plays for. So, um, yeah, man, it's just like the transition stuff is just weird to me. Like you, you, you have to play to the strength of your play, your players. And I feel like if you're going to build around De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald, who in my mind are the two best players on that team right now, like you, you just, you just have to play to their strength. Are we sure that Buddy Heald's better than Bogdan? You're going there, huh? I, I'm a, I love Buddy, man. I love Buddy, but I, I mean. You know who does I, I get more it. things for you on a basketball court? Bogdan. Yeah. But also, Buddy Heal's like one of the best three-point shooters in the league, and it's a three-point shooting league right now. I mean, Bogdan's not so bad from three either. Let's see. Where is Bogdan? He's not. Three? Yeah, he shot. He's a career 37%, which above, above league average. Um, he shoots nine threes a game per 36 minutes, which is pretty wild. And he's still shooting above average clip, which is good. Um, his per 36 minutes this season was 18, four and four. Let me he's see. good, man. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to deny that. Let's see. What um, you know, who'd have been really good mm. in Sacramento, by the way, who? Luka Doncic. Oh yeah. You know who, <laughs> why are you trying to hurt me? <laughs> Sorry, man. Sorry. Did you know the Hawks traded, uh, the rights to Luka Doncic for Cam Reddish and Trey Young? No. Yeah. Did that really happen? You know what they did the next year? They traded I feel, up I feel, for DeAndre Hunter. They traded up in the draft after trading down from Euro LeBron. They traded up for Andrew Wiggins the following year. I feel like, by the way, every single time on this podcast, we do talk about Luka Doncic, Trey Young, and the Hawks. I didn't without do it. fail. So Let like, the record show. Let the tape show. I did not do this. <laughs> you baited me. Both times in this podcast I did, I did. into Luca talk. <laughs> I you did. baited I'll take me, Scott Rafferty. I, I didn't I did. want to do it. I did. It raises my blood pressure. I get very wound up. <laughs> I get very annoyed. Um, I I just I hate it, Scott. I could be enjoying the emergence of Luka Doncic right now. You could, you could. But I mean, I the Hawks would probably be like a, a top five team in the East if Luka was on that team. So. No, Hawks fans would tell you it would be the exact same because um, Luca and Trey are neck and neck. Well, that's outrageous. I'm telling you, man, it's almost like the Hawks fans will get like there's now becoming a subset of Atlanta fans of like the Hawks fans versus the um, the the Trey stands. But like when I was writing the Fred Van Fleet piece over the weekend, um, something I was thinking about and I wrote about in the piece was that. Hawks fans just they they talk about all the the lottery guys that they have and I'm like, do you understand how this works? The Warriors got really lucky. This doesn't happen. Like Draymond wasn't a lottery pick. They just lucked out. They had David Lee because they thought that they were only going to have Steph and maybe Clay, and then hopefully Harrison Barnes. They missed on Harrison Barnes and what like the idea that Reddish, Hunter, Herder, John Collins. Maybe Anthony Edwards and Trey Young are all going to turn out to be stars. You're out of your mind. That's literally never happened in basketball. It's not how basketball works. The majority of these guys are not going to work out. Trey worked out. That's good. You're probably going to get one more if you're lucky. Two more if you're like just right. every 10 years lucky. Like, 
it's not going to happen. So like you have to figure out who you have to cut bait on first. You get to figure out who are the the Andrew Wiggins and who are the uh the Trey Youngs. Like you've got to identify that very quickly or you're going to be in a situation like the Timberwolves were and they got lucky in uh, getting out from under that, but like that was a tough contract to move because they were not willing to admit that like they blundered on the Wiggins stuff. Like it was just never going to happen right. for him. The Hawks are going to eventually have to make that decision on Hunter and Reddish. Both those guys are not going to be stars. Sorry to tell you. Like, I wish that was the case. It's just not how basketball works. The majority of them are going to be maybe okay role players. And the Hawks are going well, to be okay you do this for, right? young. It's just when players are young, fans are just like, they see lottery position and that he's young and he can be a star. It's like, sure. But you already have one now that you drafted and developed. But the idea that you, the Atlanta mm-hmm. Hawks are developing three stars, yeah, that means you're winning four titles. It's not happening. Like, it's just, it's very rare. Like, I would love for it to be the case, but it's so freaking rare. It's hard. Developing one star is hard. The Charlotte Hornets, the team that you are very familiar with, cannot do it. They've been trying. Tra- like, Trevante Graham comes out of nowhere. He's like 5'4". He's shooting 45% from three. <laughs> just killing it this year in Charlotte. They didn't try with him. He just burst on the steam and was like, I'm doing this myself. Malik Nobody Monk, saw that coming. PJ Washington, Miles Bridges, none of these guys are stars. They can keep taking stabs at the Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Go up and down the list. Majority of their picks have not worked out. Basketball's weird. Sports the, are weird. I'm about really, to have a heart attack. I really <laughs> I'll save you here. A really a really humbling experience. I know you made fun of this at the start. But if you do go back and draft in years past, because we've done this on the site recently. We've done a couple podcasts, we've been redrafting some drafts everything like that. It is humbling to go back and to just organize. Like if you do it on basketball reference, you hit win shares and organize it by players in the draft. It is humbling to see how many guys from each draft on an average year become superstars, all stars, role players, fizzle out, especially in the top 15. It, it is such a small group. And it just, it just reaffirms everything about how much of a crap shoot the draft is. Cause you're right. We, we expect, a guy drafted seventh, for example, everyone talks about them, or they usually do about having like this all-star superstar potential. This guy could be the number one player on a team and everything like that. When in reality, there is probably like two guys, maybe two guys in the lottery every single given year who are going to become all-stars or perennial all-stars. Um, the, the draft is just, it's, it's a crapshoot, man. And, and doing stuff like that really reaffirms that. Absolutely. You're on my team. But just, <sighs> Hawks fans, chill. Like, if... Cam becomes a star and becomes Paul George. I'm happy. They still lost the trade, but like, that's great. That's good Hawks basketball. That's like going to be the most fun Atlanta team of the, like the next, uh, just maybe ever, especially in my lifetime. Even like, shout out to the 61 Hawks, but like, Damari Carroll wasn't just like making me tune in every night. Like, that was not something right. I, was, I was excited about. Um, it was good basketball. It was that, good that was basketball. It was really good basketball. It wasn't flashy, though. It wasn't like, like, Trey Young is flashy. Watching that dude when he gets going, super fun. Yes. Um, and to your point, the other guys, if, if these guys do pan out, it could be a really fun team. Yeah. You're not winning the title with any of these guys, but, like, they could be fun. And you know you can win the title with? Luka Doncic. Because Luka Doncic is an actual superstar. He might, he might win the title next year. Well, well no, he's not doing that. But, um, I mean, I guess it depends on who else they get. Because they're going to have to pay Porzingis, which, kind of scary with his injury history. Porzingis still scares me long-term, but um, 
Porzingis yeah. was awesome before the season got suspended. I will say that he started yeah. to look like I don't. I don't even. But are you not worried about the foot stuff? Uh, yeah, I am, but. I don't know, man. The, the Mavs have kind of changed the way that he plays. I, I wrote about this like a week ago. It is funny to look back at how he played in New York because I think that season he ranked like third in uh, post-up points per game. Yeah. And obviously, everyone's probably heard at this point the rant that Rick Carl went on earlier this year about post-up and how it's not efficient in anything anymore um, because they basically just turned Chris Tatsporzingis into a spot-up shooter. Yeah. Um, and basically, the same amount of points that he scored in the post in New York, he's now scoring on spot-ups in Dallas. And I feel like, I don't know, I feel like that's, it's weird to say that that's like, that's going to be better on his long-term health, but maybe it is the fact that you're sending him to this stretch five. Um, maybe there's less pressure on him offensively because you're not running everything through him like New York did because obviously Luke is the best player on that team. Um, so I, I don't know, maybe the fact that he's a number two on that team, lighten his load a little bit. I, I, I am still concerned, obviously, because of the injury history and how big he is and, and thin he is and everything like that. Um, but I think if, you know, if there was a situation for him to kind of, Hopefully stay healthy. I, I would think it's probably this. Luca's per 36 numbers this year. 31, 10, and 10. Dude, Luca, Luca is a superstar. On a 37% usage rate. That's higher than Trey. Trey Young is incredible, by the way. I, I really like Trey Young. Trey Young is really, really He's good. He's the second best player in that Luka, draft. He is the second best Luka player in that draft. Luca is just a superstar. Luca is a superstar. I just... That's the worst. Dude, he might win a title this year. I mean, that is just the worst part about all this is that I would love having Trey in Atlanta if the Hawks had picked third and Luka had gone to the Kings and the Hawks were like, we are right about Trey. And they just took him third. They would look like one of the smarter organizations in basketball because it's like nobody was going to do that. They didn't have the opportunity to get Luka. They just guessed right on Trey. Then we could all enjoy it. Like we didn't have an opportunity. You had him, and you traded back. That that's the problem, and that's part of the reason I'll never like. It's just I can't even enjoy it because they had him, and they they moved on. Sorry, man. That was my bad for bringing it up. God, I'm cold. salt in the wound. I know. I'm I'm chill now. I mean, it could be worse. I could have Devontae Graham as my team's best player. Hey, Devontae's good, man. I'm, Devontae I'm is happy good. He's it. also 5'4", and that team is painfully <laughs> average. He, he can't finish inside. If you look at his numbers inside the paint this year, it's horrific. But he's Have you seen his shoot. size? I, well, yeah. But he's also just... I love watching him shoot threes. Like, Devontae Graham's, like, rainbow threes are incredible to watch. Like, that was my favorite thing about him is that they just... They go really high. He's a high shooter, and I like high shooters. And he shoots like tough shots, like yeah. off the dribble, step backs. Um, he's not afraid to. He's a he's a heat check guy. He, he's he's. By the way, I, I just looked it up. In the less than eight feet this season, he's shooting forty one point seven percent. He's shooting forty nine percent in the restricted area. That is a. Uh, he's shooting like forty eight percent from three too, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's basically, uh, he's nearly shooting as well from three that he is from inside eight feet, which is, which people, is crazy. You've got to understand how hard that is to pull off. Yeah, that's, that's pretty incredible. Oh my God. Um, all right. Well, I think we, we've covered everything, right? Do we want to? We covered absolutely everything. We covered stuff that we didn't even plan for. Yeah. You just wanted yeah. to get me riled up on a Monday night. I did. 
I'm I thought you weak off strong, man. That's what, that's what you do. Notes in my mentions about me bringing up Luca versus Trey again. <laughs> it was my know. fault. I'll Trey give you that. fans are going to be like, you don't know what you're talking about. Trey's the best, and I'm going to be like, okay, I need to log off Twitter again. Um, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, Go man. Terry Rozier, I guess. It's a good way of wrapping up here. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what people do. That seems appropriate. Yeah. All right, Scott. Well, what can we check out from you on NBA Canada this week? Uh, speak, we've talked a lot about Zion on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I actually have something uh, coming out on Tuesday about Zion. Um, I feel like everyone's read and, and written enough about his offense, so uh, I wrote something taking a little bit of a deeper dive into his defense. So, uh, so yeah, hopefully that will be an interesting read. All right, go check it out. Scott's one of the best. Um, Scott, last thing, and we'll go. Who's winning the title this year? Uh, I have not wavered all season long. They've been my pick from the start of the season. I'm going with the LA Clippers. Oh, I like it. I, I like where your head's at. I'm still going to do that because until Kawhi is ruled out, or I guess my caveat will be if Paul George is not 100%, then I'm going to save the Lakers. But if Paul George and Kawhi That's fair. play every game in the playoffs this year, it I, I find it very hard for them to lose a seven game series. That's what I'll say. Like I I want to see it to believe it. Um, Scott Rafferty, I appreciate it as always, sir. And we will talk soon. Sounds good, man. Take care. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode, and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. Goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.